Welcome to the Author Blur Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Maynard. Today, I'm talking with Douglas J. Lanzo. So we discuss his book, his poetry, and his upcoming book. At the time of this recording, Douglas has written 300 poems published. Now, when I say published, he might have written more, but who knows if he's published them or he has them out to publish. My guess is, is Douglas is going to be publishing quite a bit of poetry to continue on. And his poetry sounds very interesting and sounds like something that anybody that enjoys poetry should read. I'd say it, I'm not a big poetry person, but you might enjoy it. So I would suggest to look at what he has, let him know what you think. And if you're not into poetry, you might really enjoy his book, The Year of the Bear. The Year of the Bear is a interesting story that he tells us about where it deals with a character trying to develop and come of age just in his own right in Maine. So I don't want to give away all the conversation because every author will tell you I don't want to give away the plot. So with that being said, listen to the show. Listen to Douglas and I talk. I promise you I had fun with it and I believe you're going to enjoy listening to him as well. You probably will enjoy find one interest in his books or poetry. He also has another book coming out called I Have Lived, which sounds like a very interesting book, and I'm waiting to see when that comes out what it looks like. So with that being said, I like to always touch base and let you know that it's a good idea to go to authorblurb.com where you find all the profiles of all the different authors, find anything that they've written in the put onto the website for you to read that way you can find more about them so feel free take your time enjoy the show enjoy what they've given you on the website and if you have any questions shoot me an email through the website reach out to me i'd love to hear what you have to say follow me subscribe wherever you're watching whatever you're doing and if you're able to give me a rating thumbs up five star whatever it is i'd love to see those too because I do go through and look for them because, well, I need an ego boost every now and then myself. And speaking of that, just like I tell you to buy everybody else's books, remember, I'm an author myself. You can find me under E.A. Maynard. That's the big reason that I enjoy talking to other authors is because I can understand their process, their thinking, and I love to try to find out more about them. And, of course, I want to make this the place that you find every author that you want because not every author is easy to find. So enjoy. I'll talk to you soon. And as always, thank you for being here. So I'm here with Douglas J. Lanzo. He's written an unbelievable amount of poetry. He has a novel out called The Year of the Bear. He has another book coming out in 2023. I mean, Doug, you sound like you have a lot going on with your writing. You, I mean, originally when... We first started connecting you. I was told 270. Our pre-conversation, you said you're now up to almost 300. I mean, poetry-wise, you're just going on fire there. To, with already a novel out with what I read is amazing reviews. People just love your book, The Year of the Bear. And then another one coming out next, this coming year. What Can you tell us a bit about yourself, a bit about your poetry, your books, and then we can go into discussing everything. Sure, sure. I appreciate it. It's an honor to be here on the show with you today. Um, yeah, I've for my entire life, I've loved to both read and to write. Um, even when I was in second grade, I remember 
uh, writing short stories and reading them to my second grade class that greatly entertained them. Um, so I, I really love uh, sharing a connection with my readers. And that's really the key is um, I love to involve the reader and have them make the connections and experience the emotions and journey with the characters uh, to get a deeper you know, uh, reality where it, it's very immersive versus you know, a textbook. Uh, I'm a lawyer right. by day. <laughs> and uh, I like to say a poet and a writer by night and on weekends. And um, I've published, you know, academic articles, professional articles. Um, uh, and I, I, I'm also a scholar athlete. I mentioned that just because cross country is one of the themes um, in my in my book, uh, The Year of the Bear. Um, the, the main character, uh, Jason Wilson, is a cross country runner. And it's important not just for for the reader to you don't have to love cross country to love the book. But it um, is a dimension, I think athletics really, um, and being part of a team is really a dimension that adds some extra texture to the book uh, that readers will enjoy. Um, so I've been a lifelong you know, lawyer since graduating from uh, law school, 90, 1997. Um, I wrote for the Harvard Crimson a bit, uh, editorials I really enjoyed, and some campus um, publications, international relations articles. Uh, articles uh, advising a government on democratization. So a wide range of, of, of writing, but creative writing has always stuck with me. And I wrote The Year of the Bear beginning decades ago, actually around the year 2000, um, when I was a young associate, but I never really marketed it. Um, uh, I met a young woman when I was dating who happened to be at HarperCollins, and I sent it to HarperCollins just on a lark. They enjoyed it, but, um, you know, did didn't give me a contract on that one, but I uh, I kept it over the years, thinking at, at the worst my sons would enjoy it. And last spring, uh, my twin sons, who are now 13, they were 12 at the time, read it and really had a great connection to the book. They enjoyed it so much they said that I really had to publish it. And one of my uh, kids, Alex, who is actually a haiku poet as well, he literally uh, was really touched by one of the scenes and, and was like crying during it. And I, then I knew I had a, a strong emotional impact that could really reach readers. And I marketed it just to three publishers and two of the three publishers were interested. So I took the first contract I got and uh, it's, a, it's a great, you know, reputable um, publisher for, uh, initially from Ireland, Ambassador International, and they're in the United States as well. And so they've made it available um, to country, English speaking countries all over the world. So. I'm grateful for that. And they're actually publishing my second book, I Have Lived, um, which is a romance suspense novella I'm happy to talk a little bit about as well. All right, perfect. Well, so just so I understand this, because when I first started the show, I spoke with a lawyer out of Brazil and she hmm. wrote romance. And, you know, to me, when I think and I asked her the same question, because in my mind, writing something for law, because as a lawyer, you do write a lot. Sure. There. I've seen some of the stuff that lawyers write and it's just thick, unreadable to most people, mm. most common people like me, who's going to look at it and eyes get crossed. How do you go from writing technical jargon, almost book length contracts, reports, all this stuff that literally are meant to confuse people at times, it feels <laughs> like, to writing poetry, to writing novels, and reaching out to people that are like me who are going to read something at a common level of interest, not let's get into details and all this stuff. That's sure. That's a great question. Um, and yeah, the 
the thought process and the objectives are very different. Um, as, as a lawyer, uh, it's almost like a, uh, as a Dickens, uh, Charles Dickens was paid by the word. Uh, as a lawyer, you get paid by the hour, so indirectly by the word. Um, <laughs> you want to really make your points with clarity. You want to keep every defined term uh, the same. So if you say happy in the first paragraph, you're going to say happy in every other paragraph. Uh, it's totally opposite of a, of a writer, and I would say as a poet, which has really um, informed my writing as well, with a poet, as a poet, you want to form an image in the reader's mind, and you don't want to overly paint that image because you want it to be suggestive. You want the reader to relate to experiences that they had and fill in the texture of it with their own colors and strokes. So it's 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 totally different in that respect. And even in a novel, I looked in it when I was editing the novel with the publisher, um, I made things more concise. I painted the image. I think if you do a great job of painting the scene, um, like Mount Katahdin is extremely majestic. The scenes in Maine are very vivid. And I think um, everyone who's read it has really connected to that, to nature, to the majesty of uh, the setting. Um, and that's because it's not overdone. It's not done in the Dickens, and, and Dickens is a great writer, but it was a totally different age and it was a different <laughs> way of compensating authors at the time. So I don't wanna knock him, but um, you know, some authors that would uh, hearken it a little bit too. And I'm not, I'm not saying I'm in any of the same places as these great writers, but just like Michael Crichton, uh, C.S. Lewis, um, they immerse you in extremely entertaining and um, innovative scenes and, and, and teach you without preaching, which I, I like. So I think mm -hmm. less is more um, in creative writing in a lot of ways. Um, but at the same time, you have to very carefully research and really know the topic and the characters in order to use fewer brushstrokes, right? You can't have random ones that are in the wrong places. That doesn't work for a master in any type of artistry. So. I understand. So... Now, let's talk a bit about your poetry, because sure. poetry, when I was younger, I wrote poetry, I got into poetry, mm -hmm. and my early 20, or my 20s, I would do poetry to girls I was trying to submit and all this, and where, what kind of poet, because there are multiple different kinds of poetry, oh, sure. like you talked about your son being a haiku poet, and yeah. I, I've heard of haiku, i remember learning about it in school but i couldn't tell you for the life of me what a haiku is oh, okay what explain to me your poetry is it the long form poets is it like um i think william shakespeare did some poets poetry as well mm -hmm. and he put them into his plays things like that right sure do you do that kind of poetry do you do yeah, the do. short little snippets what what are sure. we looking at with your poetry yeah my poetry is really varied um and uh, I, I enjoy so many different forms, which is one of the things that keeps it fresh and interesting for me and hopefully my readers. But uh, I do do some of the traditional uh, poetry, like you mentioned, Shakespeare did a lot of sonnets. I've only written a few sonnets, but, um, but they have a great form to them. Obviously, Shakespeare, I think, is the ultimate master in, in, in poetry. There's a lot of great poets, but um, you, you don't really top him. And he, like you said, in his plays, which I've read every single play of his because I, I loved it in college and studying him in college as well. Um, he, he does immerse himself with the same images and some of the same, um, I don't want to say fragments, but bits of poetry that he sprinkles through and really enriches a lot of his plays. Um, I got into haiku. It's interesting that you said you didn't know a lot about haiku. I, I didn't either until about three years ago, literally less than three years ago um, when the pandemic was just starting that April 
I experimented with my first haiku. I literally just went online and read about it and said, oh, it's a Japanese short form poem and it's 575 as a traditional verses in terms of the syllables, although Japanese phonetic syllables are shorter than ours. So, um, you know, haiku poets traditionally use shorter uh, ones and aren't wedded to that form. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I, I submitted to a first um, competition and became a, it was a runner up in that competition in haiku. And I, uh, you know, submitted to like the Zen space and was admitted into a summer, summer showcase there. Um, I submitted to Frog Pond, which is from the official like journal with associated with the American Haiku Association. Um, so I and was published there in my first submission. So I, I knew I had a knack at it and I really enjoyed it, introduced it to my sons and have published literally haiku from all over the world. Um, and I've also done some tanka, which is five lines. It's uh, five, seven, five, seven, seven is this traditional form. But again, usually people shorten that somewhat. And that's uh, broader and that there's more like love poems and so on. Um, and because uh, that was the traditional way of uh, writing a love poem in ancient and olden days in, in Japan. But um, haiku is more about a connection to nature and um, connecting that to the human experience. So I love nature and I love doing the connection to the human experience. So if you if you have a good message and a good image, it, it, it's a powerful form and the brushstrokes are, are very few. So it, it requires you to be very concise. Um, but I also write, you know, hybrid is probably my biggest form, which is, you know, rhyming. And it, it's not just the same um, structure in every one, but it could be A, B, A, B. It could be A, B, B, A. But there's different forms. And I and I think that's a pretty powerful one because it can be lyrical and give you good metrics. You, you have like an iambic pentameter if you've read, you know, the great Greek classics. Uh, Odyssey is the, the ultimate um, example of that. Mm -hmm. And um, and so just like having some rhythm and meter is important in some, a lot of my hybrid poems. Um, but at the same time, it gives, you, it gives you some freedom because you have verses that don't have to be matched. So I, I, li I like the hybrid. That's probably like my favorite one. I also started free verse because I had never written free verse before. And it's very prevalent in uh, poetry today. And free verse is when you don't have any rhymes whatsoever. A lot of the poetry I read in different journals today is almost more like prose, which is not saying it's a bad form. but um, the good, the good of it is it's very authentic and people relate to whatever experiences they're having. The bad that I see in it is it's very unstructured sometimes and you can have free verse, but I think if you have some sort of lyricism or meter or metric or I, I think it makes it more powerful at times. So, um, so I, I like doing all types of forms. There's even uh, humorous haiku are called senryu and I write some of them as well from time to time. So I keep a, a good mixture, hopefully. All right. Now, what topics do you kind of cover? You said you love nature, which I kind of got from the year of the bear. Sure. So yes. what do you cover strictly in the nature? Do you the conflicts between them? Do you cover romance? Do you, what do you cover into yeah. your poetry? Um, that's a good question, too. I um, no, it's it's broader than that. Um, so some of my poems are, are about nature, but a lot of them also are about um, inspiration. So I find inspiration in great sports heroes. Um, Eric mm -hmm. Biddle is um, from Chariots of Fire. It's one of my heroes that I write about in my uh, blog uh, that may be available on your website and is on my website as well. And um, just Rafael Nadal is like one of my favorite sports heroes and this is his amazing comeback in Australian Open last year. I was just inspired by watching him come back from two sets to nothing deficit in the Australian Open and down three to 40 love, like literally probably had about a 2% chance on the, you know, 
and the DraftKings uh, betting betting lines and came back and won, uh, where he thought he would never be a month and a half before that, he thought he may never be playing again. He had a foot surgery. He was on crutches. So it was a very inspirational, um, you know, just a great sports feat that I, I wrote about. I I love tennis. So I, I've written about Kyrgios, so Federer, um, Djokovic. Um, but I've also, and I, I don't golf much, but I, I wrote, wrote, wrote about um, uh, Gary Woodard um, and just his amazing connection to, there was a, uh, a woman with special needs who like, Amy, um, forgetting your last name, but um, she, she golfed with him and just really inspired his, him. And he like uh, mm-hmm. gave testimony to his U.S. Open victory, being inspired by her, and that, that, that just things like that that really inspire me. Uh, even Queen Elizabeth's passing, it's not like I I, I have gone to to England and studied uh, briefly one summer at Oxford and have friends that live there, um, but I, um, I I just looked at the outpouring of uh, the sympathy, emotion, just tributes to like her life, life of service on the British monarchy from World War II on. And um, that moved me. So I wrote a poem about it. Um, when Colin Powell passed away, I wrote a poem about it because I just thought it was a great luminary that um, put country above party. And this would be so kind of factionalized. Sometimes in America, we don't look at the great patriots that really put their country mm-hmm. first and uh, unite people versus dividing people. Reagan, I thought was, you know, even though he was very conservative and a, a lot more conservative than the average American, I remember him just seeming to speak directly to me when the Challenger um, astronauts perished. And I remember being in eighth grade and listening to him say, um, like, I'm speaking to the American children here and that we have to be heroic and still dream and do grandiose things. So I think poetry and writing really should be inspirational. And that's a lot of what I want to, that's a lot of what I, I try to achieve in my poetry. And it's not relegated to any one topic, but whatever really inspires me, I don't write any piece unless I'm inspired by something. So um, I've written ones about the, and, and I'm not trying to be political at all, but just about the Ukrainian, um, you know, struggle for freedom. And just, um, this is just unbelievable heroism um, and defending a country against all odds. And uh, in China, um, just with the voices of freedom now, things like that really moved me. I wrote um, a poem, We Are Masha, about the woman who was um, unfortunately lost her life uh, for wearing uh, you know, a, a headscarf, uh, or, or not wearing her headscarf that she was supposed to be, be wearing properly. Um, and she was beaten into a coma. And now you see all over Iran, people risking their lives. I, I saw something on the radio. I listened to it this weekend where they said 80% of the people might actually be um, against the government now, which is astonishing, really. So just the power of um, freedom, people um, getting together, changing, exchanging their thoughts is really powerful to me. So I don't write for any one political bent or anything, but some things that inspire me, I try to share with my readers. Understand. So, how did you go from writing poetry mm-hmm. and then go into writing the Year of the Bear? Because that there seems like a bit of going from poetry to a novel. I can see how it's done, but how did you make that transition? Sure, sure. Um, and actually, I wrote the Year of the Bear. Um, in, I wrote it really in 2000, but. Um, I, I started writing poetry more um, after my kids were born. Um, may sound a little bit cheesy, but um, one of my first poems was um, they, they had a difficult childbirth experience where the doctor really wasn't sure if my wife and my kids would make it out of that. Honestly, um, the surgeon wasn't a religious person, but he 
but I prayed a lot. Um, asked my parents to both pray during the delivery. There are about, believe it or not, 15 to 20 doctors and emergency people in, in the room. I wasn't even allowed to be there. And the surgeon came back and said they felt a higher power directing him his surgery. And they miraculously made it through uh, without, they thought they might have epileptic seizures. And it, it was a very, very scary time. But they, they all made it through. And the first poems I, I wrote were really just, just about that, just how it was such a miracle. Um, and just like my kids just inspired me and I dedicated the year of the bear to them. They're in the dedication about uh, twin um, Felix, uh, about cast, sorry, Castor and Pollux and um, the Gemini twins in the, in the night skies. Uh, so just a lot of been inspired by having my kids, which I mean, I know a lot of people say it's a, it's a seminal experience to, to have kids and everything. And to me, it really opened up a poetic world to me. Uh, quite a bit, um, but it was the inspiration for me to actually publish my novel. But um, mm -hmm. I be I first became I was a short story writer first, and then a novelist, and then I wrote a novella, and then I went got into poetry. But my my po my poetry did help me edit my longer works because one of my friends his um, constructive criticism a few years ago, and I'm glad he gave it to me right before my poetry really exploded, was to be more concise and paint use fewer words to paint the image, which I, as I was saying, is an important part of what my writing. And that really, I think, made the difference to where I was applying to some journals that now I, I just suddenly there's a floodgate of journals I got into. Um, I also also attribute a lot of my success to, to God. Um, I'm a person of strong faith. And I, I did pray about during the pandemic that I would reach people in the right journals and give some inspiration. I wrote about the medical workers um, on the front lines really risking their lives because my um, brother's wife is a medical worker. She's um, a pulmonary cardiologist. And she literally was telling us that they were having conversations at our hospital. This is in the first days of COVID when they you know, thought it was extremely dangerous. Um, uh, they were wondering whether they, they were having arguments between the doctors, whether they would resuscitate patients with CPR or not, uh, whether they would risk their lives to, to help their patients. And it, it's pretty gut-wrenching. And so I, I try to write tributes to them because they are risking their lives and continuing to do so for us. Makes sense. And I can somewhat relate with the, I know my son, he came out just normal, peaceful. My daughter, though, we had her at almost a year ago and the doctor didn't pay attention to her size and she came out bigger than what was expected. And it was a disaster and we had some fears there as well. Okay. So I understand how, not to your extent, but how that process can really tug and test your faith and push you. I mean, I've never been a hugely religious person myself, but I know after my son was born, I started getting back into my faith, back into religion. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I can see how that would happen. It makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. So help me understand the year of the bear then, because you said that one, it's a from the reviews I've read, from the description on Amazon and all the things I've gone through and some of the stuff you've said as we're talking, it sounds like it's focused for kids. And when I say kids, usually my idea of kids right now are like um, young four or five year old kids, younger than that. But yours is more teenagers, correct? Yeah. And um, I, I, I would say the main character is a 13 year old uh, protagonist, Jason Wilson. And his, it's a coming-of-age story, so it's about his journey into manhood. But it really has been enjoyed by adults. I even I had a, 
a former coach who was 90 years old who read it and really enjoyed it. Um, uh, another lawyer who's in his 60s, a famous lawyer in the bankruptcy area, and he just read it and loved it so much. He literally said he was going to buy two copies for his grandkids, which kind of shows you the range there, right? If mm -hmm. He read, read it and his grandkids, he thinks it will be a good present for them. But it's really not written down, which I what, what I like about it um, is that um, I don't make it overly complicated. I don't use complicated words for no reason. So I, I but I didn't dumb it down for a particular age group where I just dumbed down all the vocabulary. So it really can be enjoyed by people of all ages. But I think uh, young adults and teenagers are really preteens too. like those are 12 years old. So 11, 12 years old who are precocious readers. Um, that's really um, just like Harry Potter books. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I read as an adult and I really enjoyed them. I thought there's great subplots here. There's great character development. It's interesting. It takes me to a different world. Um, a lot of adventure. The same thing with the Year of the Bear. I think it sweeps you into a world of adventure no matter what your age is. So I definitely don't really consider it just, you know, when someone says it's a kid book, it's, I wouldn't say that. I usually refer to it as a young adult, like coming of age book, but, um, you know, with teenagers as a, a target audience, but I would, I think parents of teenagers are a, a huge audience that, who would really naturally enjoy it if they love nature, outdoors experiences, and um, are just kind of open to sweeping up into a different world because it, it looks at Maine, it's set in 1985. But people say it seems like it's set even before that. Um, so it has a classical feel to it. If you like Where the Red Fern Grows, The Call of the Wild, people have um, akin to, said it's akin to um, Hatchet, which I, I haven't read, but um, some people compare it to that. But I would say the main characters are the human characters. Unlike Call of the Wild, it's not, you know, Buck. It's not a... It's not a dog becoming a wolf, and I don't say that pejoratively because my my the bear cub is a, has a central role in it, and I really researched black bears quite carefully and try to make it authentic. And people from Maine and even uh, Native Americans have told me that it's really authentic and it speaks to them, um, which is really great because that was one of the things I really wanted to do was I said I would consider a successful novel if someone from the Penobscot tribe or Native Americans really tell me that they they think it's authentic and respects their heritage. And I've gotten reviews that have said that. So uh, that's meant a lot to me. All right. So let me ask this then. One of the big questions I like to ask is where does this, what is page one of the book? Where do we start off with? Sure. Now I've, I'm picturing year of the bear. There has to be, and you even said there's a bear cub involved in it. And from reading, I have a idea of where it starts with from reading the reviews and the description, but Take us to page one and lead us into the story so we know what we're diving into with your books. Okay. And the chapter one is um, one of the most suspenseful chapters. I don't want to give too much of it away, but there's a, a bleeding of lambs in the middle of the night that awakens uh, Jason and his father, Kyle, who's a hardy outdoorsman. And they go out with their rifles and their, their dogs into the night in Maine and uh, around the mountain environs of Mount Katahdin and Moosehead Lake. So an area that's teeming with uh, black bears, wolves even, um, coyotes, uh, all types of uh, creatures. So they journey out into the night and they have, I won't give it away, but they, they have a confrontation that uh, has life or death consequences for, for some of them. So, um, so it really immerses you directly into it. It's not like slow moving or gradu gradually gets the reader into it. It's uh, a hook from page one. And 
I haven't had any readers who've read the first chapter who told me, oh, really, I have to put it down now. It's everyone reads the first chapter and tells me it's amazing and they can't wait to read the rest of it. So that's um, so I, I think I was successful there. Well, sounds good. So this takes place in Maine. I'm mm -hmm. imagining from what it sounds like out in the rural areas of the countrysides mm -hmm. and things like that. Yeah. And with that, do you actually spend time in Maine? Do you know why did you choose Maine as your setting? That's a good question. Um, I grew up in New England um, in southern Connecticut, but in a really rural area where um, we had three and a quarter acres at one of the places I lived uh, with a pond and a swamp and forest land and all kinds of creatures from deer to raccoons, foxes. Um, we had, you know, unearthed um, Indian artifacts in, in our arrowheads in our in our backyard. And it was just a, a magical place for me. Um, why I picked Maine, um, I fell in love with it. I did, I, I journeyed there to um, spend time at Mount Katahdin um, in the house of Irons and Moosehead Lake. I, I ran into moose there. I um, I didn't run into any black bears, uh, fortunately, or unfortunately. I didn't have bear mace with me, so probably fortunately. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I really drove all around Maine. I, I love New England, so I had, um, I ran cross country in New England as well. I went to, went to Harvard and had the privilege of just like, we ran against like Dartmouth and New Hampshire and just, I, I'd gone to Vermont when I was growing up as well and had gone, not just skiing, but done, done full tobogganing and things like that. And uh, I just loved and getting, you know, gotten fresh maple syrup and picked apples from orchards that we baked into pies. And I, I just, you know, we, we ha I had a really authentic New England experience growing up and I wanted to convey that in Maine kind of was a place where, you know, you, where else can you have wolves and timberhead rattlesnakes and, um, <laughs> you know, black bears, and it, it was probably the best setting for kind of a dramatic um, encounters and, and the scenes that, that play out in the in the book. And I, I don't, like for me, I love the suburbs and um, I love, I've, I've lived in New York City, I've lived in like big cities before in DC, and but um, I just have a draw to, to nature and I just wanted people to really appreciate its beauty, whether you live in Boston or New York or, you know, <laughs> LA, um, you know, I, I just think that communing with nature uh, through poetry or just being there in person, it really kind of relaxes your spirit and refreshes people. So I just wanted them to have that experience, whether they, they live there, no matter where area that country they're from. All right. So, yeah, for me, I, I live in Virginia now, right outside of D.C. I've For years and years, I've lived in major cities and suburbs, so I can relate to that. I personally kind of miss the country getting having the space away from everybody. I mean, ever since COVID being able to work from home kind of made me a hermit. So <laughs> I kind of look at things a little differently, but I understand that. And I do really love books that place you outside the city because it seems like a lot of places are set mm -hmm. in city settings in that kind of environment. So being outside of major cities or rural populations like towns and things is to me an interesting thing now what i guess what drove you to actually write the book what what was it that just hit you to said i gotta write this novel <laughs> um that's a good question i mean i was i, I mean I, I i think i wanted to even make sure my creative brain was still alive after i started <laughs> like you said drafting all these dense documents and um you know pulling all-nighters doing m a transactions and i wanted to make sure i wasn't getting away from you know, aspects of my former life. Like I knew I couldn't, uh, I would actually have dreams about sometimes I mean, you call them nightmares about being slower in cross country and track. I knew 
like you kind of <laughs> peak around age 25, 27 or 30 as a marathoner. And I just, uh, I just knew I wouldn't be doing those times again. I, I wanted, but I writing, I figured I had some really interesting experiences I wanted to share with people. So it was kind of just seeing if I still had that voice and just, you know, I, I found it very refreshing. And um, to me, like people ask, like you were probably alluding to earlier, just like, how are you so prolific? You, you're writing, you know, 300, publishing 300 poems in three years. And at the same time, you're publishing a novel and novella and you're, you're a lawyer, you're a general counsel of a company. Um, to me, it's like a passion and something I, I really enjoy doing and sharing with my kids. And uh, I love writing and sharing it with my family and friends. And when I, I get the biggest kick out of um, when someone says, this really spoke to me. This really had an impact on me. I've had, you know, from some of my poems are very uplifting um, and, that, and that's and inspirational and that's a big part of it. And when people say, hey, my mother just passed away or my father just passed away and I read your poetry, gave me some closure, that means a lot to me. So I, I really like to share and inspire people. And that's what I, a lot of my inspiration for and reason for writing these days is. All right. Now let's move into your book that's coming out in 2023. Sure. It's I Have Lived. And that's a, if I remember correctly, a suspenseful romance. Mm -hmm. There's another category to it. I just can't. Uh, place. There. Sure. Yeah. So how did you get into that? And can you tell me a bit yeah. about it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that is a really interesting one. And um, I'm really proud of the Year of the Bear, but in some ways um, I'm even more proud of I Have Lived because um, it's even more of an emotional impact of why I wrote it in the first place. So a close friend of mine, um, unfortunately, died in Windows in the World, 9-11. Um, he was uh, doing a pre presentation for Bloomberg on the 106th floor. Um, and I was dating his sister at the time. I was close to his whole family. Um, and we still don't know to his day, but we think he, he jumped out. Um, it, it pretty much was an inferno up there. And the helicopters yeah. couldn't land there because it was too dangerous. Um, I was really impacted by people like Pat Tillman from the NFL who had a multi-million dollar contract for the Arizona Cardinals, um, turned it down to re-enlist and fight in Afghanistan and the special forces people there. Um, so to me, that had a tremendous impact uh, on um, just fighting for freedom there. Um, I'm, I'm not big into nation building. I think we've gotten to some problems in Iraq and other countries with that. But in terms of mm -hmm. getting the Taliban out and rolling the Al-Qaeda elements out of the country, I was going to have been prouder how we did that with a very small footprint, actually, special forces fighting at night. So I extensively researched that. And my book um, is chronicling through a series of flashbacks. And it's a shorter one. It's a novella. So it's to me, it has to be, like I said, all the brushstrokes have to be there. It has to be masterful to be shorter and, and work. And I think it works even better. The editor I sent it to Literally, he was the founder of Messer International. He said, Doug, I don't normally publish novellas because it's not even a genre we do, but this is utterly gripping and we need to publish this. So, um, and I even was friends with um, a, a retired colonel who was working at the Pentagon. He um, read the opening battle scene. It's a combat scene where there's a downed helicopter that's being rescued by uh, special forces, army rangers. And my character is a lieutenant who's a medical officer, a combat officer. And he rescues at a high price to himself. And the special forces colonel who read it said, this is realistic. And to me, that was like the highest praise to, to think that I had researched to the point and made all the battle scene and everything so realistic to people. Um, so it's a, through a series of flashbacks, um, it, it tells his life on his wedding day to his wife. His, his wife is also an inspirational character. She's um, the daughter of a medical missionary and surgeon who he meets in Kenya, uh, ministering to the Messiah tribe there. 
Um, that's the tribe that goes out with uh, just a spear with the men, the boys become men by um, they're in their red clad um, tunics and they go out into the field and have to slay a lion in order to become a man. So you probably have heard about them. Um, yeah, I have a long time ago, but <laughs> yeah. still is amazing to think about. Yeah. And, um, and actually on nine 11, they actually gave a gift. Uh, I encourage people to read my poem on it. Um, uh, they gave a gift of 14 cows to the American people because they heard about through a medical student who was from their tribe studying in the United States uh, about the attacks on us and the people that died. And they had such empathy that they gave their most valuable possession is a cow there. And they gave 14 cows um, to and, and to and they dedicated it to those to, to their to their memory, which is a really special gesture. But um, so they that, you know, it, it all came. My, my novella all comes from kind of stems forges out of 9-11 and our response to it and the heroes that came out of that. Um, and just also, um, I have a lot of respect. You can probably tell for the, the medical profession and just the people that um, are saving lives every day. So they're, they're also heroes in, in that novella. And um, I don't want to give it away, but it's it's uh, extremely inspirational. Also, like some legendary baseball figures, Lou Gehrig is a part of it. Um, so I try to inspire people through you know, some of the timeless people that really informed us. And, and I think people need kind of modern day heroes. That's one of the things we're kind of missing sometimes is people kind of like get depressed about things. I and mean, you don't look back and think of people that, you know, Winston Churchill's of the day that went through like extremely dark times where, you know, they thought England would fall to Nazism. And so, so that's what I try to bring. And hopefully through my novella, I inspire people with that. Well, perfect. I mean, so far, the year of the bear, I think I'm gonna have to pick up as well. I'm starting to realize that my wife might start killing me with all the books I'm must I'm planning on buying from the authors I'm talking with. But you know, it just means I have to build more bookshelves. <laughs> but your book, the year of the bear, sounds like something I'm gonna have to get for my kids as he gets older, and possibly for me to read as well. So I do appreciate you being on here. Your books sound interesting. The poetry. I'm not a huge poetry person, but I might look into some of yours just out of curiosity because it does sound interesting. So with that being said, thank you for being here. You have information for people to find you in the show notes below or wherever they're listening, watching to this. There's a, a profile of author blur on author blurb where people can go and find the information you've given me. Where do you prefer people to reach out to you if they want sure. to? learn more about you if they want to contact you where do you sure. suggest they go sure um i have several places one is my author's website it's just www.douglaslanzo.com and i have all my poetry there and information about my books and i had a really good developer who made it very friendly to people that they enjoyed spending time on it and i was just looking yesterday some of my poems have over 300 views so i really appreciate the people that have have liked them um people don't have to leave any comment or footprint at all they're really just to inspire people to get people to think and appreciate some of our heroes and people that we should remember to, to get a little bit of a connection to nature maybe try a haiku for themselves um and also i'm on instagram uh, i only started that several months ago but i've built up to almost 100 followers there i like to post haiku there on twitter i've just gotten on recently i also post some haiku and shorter poems there um so those are the the main places i'm on facebook but not as much of a presence there and linkedin it's more for a professional network, but I occasionally I do publish some announcements about my book there as well. All right. Perfect. Sounds like the, you're obviously out there to be found. 
and people can keep track of you with your poetry as well. So again, thank you very much for being here. I appreciate your time and I appreciate talking with you. This is going to be the end of the conversation for everybody else, but like I said, if you just hold on for me, I'd like to talk to you a little bit more. Sure. Sounds great. Thank you very much. Really honored to be here. Thank you. I'm glad you made it this far to the end of the show. I hope you've enjoyed it because that's what it's all about. I'd also like to suggest that you take the time and go find the other authors that are here. Find that author that you're going to love and you're going to want to share. It's all about the authors and that's why I'm here. Now, if you enjoy the show, I'd like to ask you to do me a favor. If you think it's worth it, go to the website, authorblurb.com. You can donate money, donate crypto, buy me a cup of coffee, things like that that helps me support keeping the show going. Right now, I don't do anything to try to delay, add, distract you. Everything's out of my pocket, and everything is meant to make authors be able to grow their audience and grow your attention. So, as always, thank you for being here. I hope you come back for the next show. And, again, take the time, explore authorblurb.com. There's a lot there that you will be very happy to take the time to enjoy. And as final note, rate, review, shoot me an email through authorblurb.com. That way you can at least let me know what you think. I'm happy to always see reviews and hear what you think. Thank you. Have a good day.